0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my podcast, who are executive producers, Candace Anderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Hoodoo Cleansing Protection Magic, Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great. And monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of "Is Not Aliens, Is Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com. You'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Von Brashler. Is that how I pronounce it?
1: That's right, Gary.
0: Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being on. And Von has written... A whole bunch of books on time travel which is a fascinating topic and um you know uh in, in time is actually something that i struggle to understand i mean it's something that we're all familiar with we experience it but yet do we know exactly what it is are you there
1: uh, yeah well i was going to say that. Uh... You know, Einstein always said that we all experience time differently. It's very subjective. It all depends on where you're standing and, uh, and what it's like for you and, uh, and how you experience time. And you know, I think that as an observer, he always talked about the role of the observer. Uh, it, it, it largely depends on your frame of reference what you're bringing to it, and, and how wide open your eyes are. You know, I think we all experience time differently. I think that we can all stretch time. We can all condense time. We can all travel in time. And I think we all have. We just don't realize it. Interesting.
0: So how can we how can we do that? How can we stretch time, condense time, move through it?
1: Yeah, I mean, my first books were all on the practical side of it, you know, like the way that athletes do. I wrote a book called Perfect Timing and um, followed that up with Seven Secrets of Time, which the publisher called Seven Secrets of Time Travel. And they wrote a book on death and dying and what really it means and whether there is any time. Are we just opening and closing doors? Is there really a beginning? Is there really a middle? Is there really an end? Or is there just one continuous timeline? And I think that once you begin to focus on time, uh, your place in time, and you can get your head squared away around it, you can move on it. I, I see it this way, Gary. I see mm-hmm. time is like a big conveyor belt. And... Um, It's wherever you're focused on, wherever you're standing on the belt, whatever point on the belt you're focusing your eyes, that is your spot in the time continuum. That to you is now. That is the present time. It's what we call the here and now, right? Here and now. It's where light strikes you. (laughs) Yes, Einstein says where light strikes you is your now plane. Okay, so you know it all strikes us differently, and. And most of us are just looking at the ground in front of us. So that's all we ever see. That's all we ever know. We never think of anything else. This is a purely physical orientation to the here and now. Mm -hmm. So what I've done is I've looked at other groups of people who are successful, apparently, in moving through time and space, shamans, uh, spirit walkers, mystics, yogis. And and how they do this, you know, they, they shift their consciousness, it's a consciousness shift. And if you can shift your consciousness, then you can shift what you're looking at your perception, the spot you're looking at changes, you're looking at a different place on the time, on the, the big conveyor belt, this continuous time loop, the eternal time loop. There's only one timeline. It's just one. It's very simple. You know, there aren't various, various timelines. There's only one timeline. But it just goes and it loops and it loops and it loops and it's wherever you want to jump on it, that's where it is. Consequently, you can't actually project yourself into the past or into the future. What I what I do is I set up various techniques that people can use. My books, including this new one, Time Shifts, have a lot of exercises how to actually, if you will, manipulate time. But really, you're manipulating your own perception of time. You know, this is exercises in meditation. And I also use lucid dreaming as a technique to set up um, a a voyage of discovery, if you will, Mm -hmm. out of body uh, into another point on the timeline, out of space, out of time. Wow. So, it would be possible to go back in time, forward in time, to like a very specific thing. You would be very, very specific. That's interesting. So, if
0: we can do this consciously, like I know, like like my own experience, typically when I'm thinking forward or thinking backward, um, it's usually kind of like negative, you know, rather than just being in the present moment. Like, how can a person shift forward and backward? without having to get stuck in that negative aspect of it, like the fear part. I think the fear sometimes is what makes us think ahead and think back.
1: There are two things at work here. (laughs) And I'm working on a book now on lucid dreaming beyond space and time. See, the thing is, we live inside our physical brain. We call this our mind. People are real fond today of of talking about mindfulness. I wanna just just back it up a minute, mindfulness. We're talking about the physical analytical brain. This is the part of you that tells you when to breathe, part of you that says when you're injured, you gotta pump more blood. It's part of you that says uh, uh, time to run or time to hide. It is a pro-survival mechanism. The primary function of your physical mind is self-preservation of the physical body. It is what controls your autonomic system. It is what keeps you alive physically. But it is not, not your conscious mind. Your conscious mind, your consciousness is more like spirit. It's pure energy. It is. It is. And I and I got this from a lot of Eastern philosophy. And I did kind of lean on, on on shamanism. There, there, there is the sense that, that we have a spirit within us, call it the inner self, and this is this is is intelligent energy. Intelligent energy, also known as consciousness, is all around us in all living things. It's what propels life. It's what sustains life. It's what brings life into being. It's what alters life. It's what moves life. It is the primary primordial component. Uh, energy, intelligent energy, in the universe that propels and transforms all of life. We have that within us, as we absorb light. <laughs> yes, light, and as we absorb um, the experience of living, we take within us this conscious energy, this intelligent energy, and and this is is something that can't be measured. This confounds scientists; they cannot measure. Consciousness. They think they can. They cannot. Consciousness is not a function of the physical mind or body. It is something that's pure energy. It is it is as pure as light because it is light. So as light descends to us as the manifestation, the outward manifestation of consciousness, cosmic consciousness. It it's absorbed by all living things, including us. It is the It is the inner self that we call our spirit, it is the the true self within us, it is the inner being. And so in order to move outside the body, in order to move in time, and beyond the here and now, you have to actually tap into this consciousness, your spirit longs to be free. This is something that shamans have known for many, many years. The spirit walkers, the dream walkers, they go into this deep trance and they go to visit the ancestors and they listen. They don't act, they listen, they observe. Um, Your audience may recall the books of Carlos Castaneda. Mm -hmm. I've read them. An outstanding example of learning to listen and, and, and learning to stop the world. This is stopping the physical world, stopping your mind, just slowing it all down, and getting in touch with your inner spirit. So mystics from the East have known this for years. So my books lean heavily on like books like the uh, Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which is really a study in pure consciousness, which is also called raja yoga, or the divine wisdom. And, and my exercises show you how to set up a very deep and active meditation to leave the physical body behind in a state of tranquility and peace. Now in, in, in the Eastern tradition, the Samadhi mystics do this all the time. They start their young ones, uh, their chelas, uh, with the exercise in controlled dreaming. They'll have them lie down and arms stretched, legs outstretched, 45 degree angle on their backs. They'll close their eyes. They'll tune out all distractions inside their head. They'll turn out, tune out all distractions outside. They no longer hear. They no longer see, feel, touch, smell. They tune all this out. They t- they turn off their mind. And they get in touch with their inner self. The inner self takes them on a voyage of discovery. Now, a few years back in Indonesia and southern India, some Samadhi mystic students went into a deep, deep uh, trance, this uh, dream state. And where they experienced a state of being outside what we'd call normal time and space. It was a great voyage of discovery for them. This is the way they would train their young ones. But then when the tsunami hit Indonesia, they worried. They worried very much what to do because they were lying peacefully in a a deep, deep sleep. And they were out of it. So they wondered what to do they had they had to move them they worried about their safety well cut to the chase they very carefully picked them up and carried them away and about three days later they all woke up some before others and nothing nothing that had happened around them seemed to have phased them that's how deep was the meditation so what I'm talking about is going into really deep, active meditation.
0: Is this something that takes years and years and years or lifetimes of training to be able to do? Or is it accessible to
1: everyone? Uh, ordinarily, it does take a long time. There is a, a learning curve in the East and in tribal cultures where they... Study for years to do this. I've tried to I've tried to demystify it with setting up exercises, so a person could do this on their own. But it takes a lot of practice. Um, I think that a person could learn to do it quite quickly if they were willing to accept a certain number of, you know, d- changes in their thought. One is that we need to learn to see with new eyes not physical eyes. We need to learn to hear with new ears. Now, all the great teachers have told us to to really know the profound truths. One needs to develop new eyes and hear with new ears. And so this is is what we do. We try to set up um, a deep meditation or a lucid dream in which, in an exercise, a person can actually leave their physical body very peacefully reclining in a safe environment and completely tune out their normal mental... I mean, we have to think that the mind ordinarily is a gatekeeper. It doesn't let you go very far afield. It, you, in, in, in the yoga tradition, Gary, they talk about the gatekeeper. They talk about Slaying the mind, they say. In order to go beyond the mind, you must slay the mind. I mean, you could see that everywhere in Hindu uh, writings. But if you really read, like the Bhagavad Gita, there is a scene there where Krishna, working with Arjuna, he says, "You need to, um, you need to reach." I'm going I'm to paraphrase it. You need to reach harmony, you need to reach tranquility within yourself. We're at odds with ourselves within our own bodies. There's a part of us that's purely physical, and we're driven by sensuality and, 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 and uh, distractions of the world. And we think that's all there is. But outside, there's so much more. We're living inside a very enclosed box. It is limited by our three dimensions. It is limited by our frame of reference, which is the memory inside our physical mind. We are limited by our physical eyes, our physical ears, our five senses. We're limited by our, 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 our linear view of how things are with a, a starting point, a midpoint, an end point. In truth, there is no start, there is no end. It's all continuous. Everything is continuing in the universe. And and, and that is especially true then of time. Time is a continuum. So there are exercises that a person can learn. And um, I've tried to demystify a lot of this samadhi training so that a person can learn to focus their attention and tune out their Physical sensations, tune out the mind, uh, reach an inner harmony, where a person can actually leave the physical body in a voyage of discovery, and that is time travel. Now, I also in the book describe many other people who have actually physically, I, I will say physically, time traveled. They they have time traveled to the point where they were recognizable in another timeline. These are rare. These are rare. Mo- mostly when we time travel, we travel in a consciousness body that is an energy body, an etheric double of us. If you want, you can call it the astral double, the astral body. It is not visible to others. It is may not, maybe not even visible to you. It is somewhat of a form. It is, has an energy form. But it's not. Does not have the physicality of the person. There are some amazing stories of people who have gone and seen things out of time and space, and come back and reported it. Just like the shamans who have gone to talk to the ancestors. Just like the shamans that have gone forward in time to find out what the future holds for for their people. Wow, you know.
0: So I've been practicing meditation for a long time, maybe 10 or 15 years. And, you know, I never had like that type of experience. However, I had an epileptic seizure once. Yeah. Well, I had it more than once, but, but I had one that lasted for a significant amount of time. And I remember vividly that I was completely outside of time and space. I was like in this vortex of blackness and color, and it was completely peaceful. It was the most incredible experience i ever had and i know i was outside of time yep um and ever since then i've been chasing that it's like i want to go back to that i want to feel the entire universe just what just spiraling
1: around me yeah these are moments when our spirit for a moment leaps out the body very often in an accident or a a health emergency, we've noticed that people will experience um, things very differently. They'll see things from afar, from above, they'll experience uh, things out of time, they'll, they'll see other places. And I think that the explanation for this is that the spirit inside us, our consciousness, longs to be free but we hold it back. You know, the mind, the physical mind says, no, 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 no. This isn't safe. You know, it's, it's dangerous. But at moments like maybe an epileptic seizure like yours, Gary, or Mm -hmm. I had a car accident. um, And I described this in an earlier book, Um, Perfect Timing, where time froze during my accident. Time, I reached a point of timelessness. It, it time didn't exist. I had all the time in the world to see what was going to happen during during my accident. After the accident, you know, it's like I had all the time in the world. And I think these are these are examples of where the spirit inside us says, "Look, I've i i I've got to I've, I've, I've got to get out now." But mm-hmm. ordinary, ordinarily. We live such button down controlled lives. You know, the, the Russian philosopher Uspensky, Peter Uspensky, said, we, we live as though we were in a box. He described it uh, on a layer. We were like on the second layer. And I always think of like being in an apartment building with no windows, you can't see what's outside you. You cannot see what's above you, above your ceiling, you can't see what's below you underneath the floor. You can't see beyond you in the walls. You can hear these odd sounds. I think Plato called this the allegory of the cave. You're so far, you know, embedded in, in, into your little box. You cannot really understand what's out there because we can only we can only realize what we can see with our eyes, hear with our ears, or touch. We only know three dimensions, right? Up, down, side, side, in the depth of something, and I would question whether we know the depth of anything. Right. So I think that's really far out. I think we're two-dimensional mm-hmm. beings. We're surface dwellers. This is who we are, and, and 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 for the most part, we feel comfortable in that in that life, and we've we've been. I'm not going to say tricked or duped, but we've been. We've been controlled by our minds. We're not controlling our minds. Our minds have controlled us to think this is all there is. Don't think beyond this because it's safe. Beyond there could be dragons. You know, there could be the edge of the earth. You don't know what what is beyond the next valley. You don't know what's beyond the horizon. You know, tremendous fear. And it's all based on survival mechanism, controlling the physical world around you. Well, the physical world around us is very confining. We we, the only way to see outside this boxed in world we live in, is through consciousness, through meditation, to lift us out with new eyes and new ears. In other words, to physically to leave our physical bodies, we can only do that. We can only do that in, in a consciousness body or, or in spirit, Now, some people might think this sounds really far out, like science fiction. You know, a lot of people thought Carlos Castaneda was science fiction. But I tell you, folks, this was the real thing. This man was telling you how to stop the world and and to realize more than than what's physically around you. The first thing he told people was, was, was get in control of your physical body. That's the same thing they tell you in Eastern... Uh, spiritual science. First, control your body. Then you can understand how to get outside, beyond your body. In other words, we have to we have to develop a sense of of harmonic resonance within ourselves. We have to convince the mind that all is well, and that we're all working for the same goal, which is discovery, growth, and evolution. Hmm. So,
0: from that point, like, I, I mean, sometimes, like me, personally, I, it's like, I just want out of this body. Like, I, I just want to go back to, to that place I was for that short period of time. Um, you know, in, in Carlos Castaneda, you know, he was using psychedelics to achieve those altered states. Um, meditation can take years and years and years of doing, it. you know, yeah. like, like non-stop you know yeah um you know there, there's also i mean i've I've tried things like binaural beats which definitely seem to enhance yeah. it somewhat because it yeah. modifies the brain waves right um but man i just want a shortcut out of here
1: see you, you know i worked for a publisher that actually turned down Casanata's first book why did he turn it down now I won't say who it was. He said, "This man came to me. He was He was a graduate student in California. He was a PhD um, uh, field researcher uh, in anthropology, and he'd written a book on his experience of going to Mexico and trying to find out if psychotropic drugs in the culture of Mexico would allow him." to experience shamanic insight the way the ancient Toltecs did. I'm kind of cutting through the chase. Mm-hmm. If you remember how the first book yeah. starts off, the first book starts off a separate piece. He, he goes there and he sits on a, on a bench, right? And he sits next to an old man who he later finds out is Don Juan Janeiro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he, and he said, why are you here? And he said, well, you know, I'm a... I'm a um, graduate student in anthropology. And I want to study the effects of psychotropic drugs to enhance and allow me to experience um, shamanic insights the way that the, 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 the Indians of Mexico traditionally have done from the Toltec tradition. And, and the man looked at him, and he said like, well, the first thing you need to do is get in touch with your body. First, you know, you have to become a perfect tonal man before you can become a nogwal man. You know, and, and 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 then he continued. You know, after that to blow his mind with what this old man could do. You know, mm-hmm. and I I think that what the takeaway for a lot of people was that was Castaneda was just talking about drugs in the same way that Timothy Leary was, and if you remember, Timothy Leary went to the East mm-hmm. and he was kind of poo pooed by some of the masters there as as to that kind of shortcut technique. You know, it, it would be better, would be better uh, stone sober <laughs> and clean, drug-free to actually um, set up the condition where you have a harmonic balance within your body to allow your physical mind to, for just a moment, just for a moment, to just kind of surrender this gatekeeper control it has of you and allow your inner consciousness to explore beyond because it it ha- it can see with with increased awareness it has focused awareness it has it has an awareness that replaces our five physical perceptive skills so we do see with new eyes in and 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 I think the Casanata book shows how in certain situations, he did see with new eyes. He did hear with new ears. He heard and saw things that most people would not see, as he described it, a non-ordinary reality. So I would suggest that there is a reality beyond the reality that we call the physical here and now. It is yours. It, it is mine. It is our past. It is our future. And more than that, it is the the, the unknown worlds that that um, the arc of the hero, like have traditionally, explores. It is going into the unknown world for great insight and profound discovery. It is it is accepting the call to go beyond the known world into the unknown world. That would be like exotic realms. It would be like. Not only our past and our future, it would be not only other points far, far from where you're now sitting, but it would be distant planets, you know. It would be parallel universes. It would be parallel realities. There are many realities beyond this reality. Why are we satisfied with just this one reality? I'm not. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Not at all. So so what techniques do you write about uh, specifically to help people explore these other realities, like the lucid dreaming techniques and meditation techniques?
1: I do like the lucid dreaming technique as opposed to purely meditation. But the way I set up lucid dreaming is like meditation. I think it's semantics to say that it's not meditating you know, if you really set up a lucid dream, consciously set up a dream uh, to be a lucid dream, you're actually setting up, you're actually getting into a meditative state. So what I do is, is uh, I will either program a waking dream that happens right now, sitting sitting in a chair, reclining, eyes closed, but not sleeping. Or I'll set, up a, I'll set up the conditions for a lucid dream outside time and space to commence the moment I go to sleep. I like those. I like those very well because, you know, that, that and it's really not very hard because if you, if you, if you set everything up um, the way a person would set up a meditation, you 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 tune out all distractions inside you outside you you begin control deep breathing you you set the body to sleep you let your body become numb you consciously ask the physical mind to go to sleep you begin to program a lucid dream um in a constructive way like an agenda the technique i use takes the physical mind completely out of the equation so i know a lot of people in drug dream research will talk about the dream state you know what 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 what, are we, what is the the brain pattern during the dream sleep you know you know are you in a delta are you in an alpha no 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 i Tune out the physical brain. And what I do is I begin to picture a blank tab- tablet in front of my mind's eye. As soon as everything fades to darkness, and by fades to darkness, I mean you completely pull the plug. There's no thoughts going through your head, no words, no feelings, no sounds. And you feel completely at peace with this situation. And then you picture in front of your mind's eye a blank tablet. And on that tablet, you don't put words. You draw pictures. Because the the minute you start to think about words, you're actually processing mentally, you see? Yeah. Yeah. So you want to take the analytical mind and let it just continue to sleep. And you begin, you draw, you begin to draw a picture of where you want to go, when you want to go. Is it in the past, in the future? Is it yesterday? Is it 200 years ago? Is it a previous life? Is it when you were a child? You know, where, where you want to go and the scene that you want to experience, who you want to be there and what, and most importantly, what you want to learn. And then when that's formed, you tuck that into the back of your consciousness, just tuck it back. And then you prepare yourself for the moment when it returns to you. And when it returns, it'll be like a map. You follow it instantly. You prepare yourself to leave the body. You say now is the time. Now is the time we're going to leave the body now. When I say this is consciousness, it is important to know what aspects of your, of your total being you're employing. I, I would maintain that you're drawing upon your causal body. You're, the, you're drawing upon your will center. You know, this is the, 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 the part of you in your solar plex area, your spleen chakra, where your will center is. It is the part of your, your, your causal body that is, is actually is actually in charge of intuition, and understanding and insight. And you're going to need your mental, you're going to need your mental consciousness, you're going to need your emotional consciousness, I don't mean physically, I mean, on an on an energy body level. And when when you bring back that tablet, then it's an automatic trigger, and you follow it just like a map. Gone. And so what I what I use in all of my exercises is something I've taken from um, hypnotherapy, which is self hypnotherapy, it is giving yourself a post hypnotic suggestion. So you actually will feel will will sense that when that comes back it's an automatic trigger to, for you to go so people say well how do you go and and how will you know how do you know where to go well you you've you've created a map now it doesn't matter I maintain how carefully and precisely you draw the picture you could paint it with with Watercolors, if you want, you can you can just draw stick figures. It doesn't matter. It, it's it could be as crude as writing with a pencil on a napkin because you n- understand it as directions. It is then your map. When you bring that back, back it goes. How does this work? How, how how could you possibly use that to take you there? It's because spirit knows where it's going. You know, I mean, this is. You have to believe in, 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 in karma to some degree. That karma is, is really a magnetic, electromagnetic attraction of one thing to another thing. You want to go back to see you in the past. You want to see you in the future. It's like a karmic attraction. Vroom, 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 vroom. It, it, it absolutely works. You absolutely have connection to you in the past you absolutely have connection to you in the future. You're karmically attached, you see, because you've already been in the past. And you've already been in the future. You're just now standing here right now. This is where you physically are standing. But you can go to any of those other places. I think it's of great practical value to be able to visit yourself in the past and to visit yourself in the future. Why? Because you can understand who you are and and why you're here and what you're all about. And you can course correct why you're here and what you're supposed to be doing with your life and who you really are. You can understand the people in your life.
2: Hmm.
0: Well, I could definitely use some course correction right now. That's for sure. Um. So how, how, does that, how does that perspective come? Like, one of the things like, I think about like the lucid dreaming thing is, well, I remember it
1: when I wake up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, if it's a lucid dream, it's very vivid, it's very colorful, and you feel a presence there. Now, this is different from a common random dream that's inside your head because those kind of random dreams that we normally have, these common dreams are they're dreams that are like flashbacks inside your mind, your physical mind. They're like memories, right? So, so what happens is that even when you go to sleep, the mind never really rests. The mind is still trying to crunch away at problems that it couldn't resolve during your waking hours. It has concerns about what happened yesterday and has worries about what happens tomorrow. It's not at all uh, comfortable where you are. And it keeps grinding away, trying to resolve these things, analyzing the way it does. But the problem is you couldn't resolve these things when the mind was wide awake. When it's idling half asleep, it's even less functional. So what we normally have in a common dream of of fitful, restless sleep is we have like these kind of like flashback memories and we're like reliving things. And we're like, as as often said, all the other characters in your dream then are people that you've created. You know, they don't look like you, but they're all extensions of you you're actually a puppet master and you're, you're, your brain is trying to recreate this scenario and work it out. And it can never work it out. I mean, maybe once in a blue moon, it works it out, but ordinarily it doesn't. But so, so you come back and it's like, it's chaos. You know, you're just troubled by these, these fitful, restless dreams we have in this way. However, a lucid dream is a dream not inside your mind. It is not based on your physical memories. It is a dream of your pure consciousness. It is a dream that is full of insight and clarity and focus where you have new eyes, new years, You're You're acutely aware of what's happening so that when you return to it, you have some clarity because it was crystal clear. So what I always tell people when you randomly have a lucid dream, or you program a lucid dream and you return from it, spend a few minutes to quietly recline with eyes still closed. And, and and just gently meditate on it, recalling the dream, don't process, not don't analyze it, because that's engaging your mind. But just, just process it, let it flow over you. Just kind of outline it, kind of relive it, recall it. And then you just play it forward, you know, play it from the beginning to the end, play it beginning to the end. And then you say, oh, I, I see it, I see it. And then it's very, very clear. Then if you want, then if you want, you can get up and put it in a dream, in a dream journal. But it's going to be very hard to ever analyze even a lucid dream. You can only outline what you observed. The processing of a lucid dream happens inside you, not in your head
0: hmm So so how do you, how does the lucid dream become beneficial if we can't analyze it with a rational mind, then how do we use the information that is
1: gained through that lucid dream? The the, the lucid dream will bring insights. Um it'll, it will bring answers, it'll bring resolution to questions you have that you've posed when you when you drew up your, your tablet, your You drew your agenda. It will resolve those those questions. And you instantly will return from the lucid dream when everything you've drawn as an agenda topic has been addressed. Or if not resolved and you did not get insight, that you've at least played through your agenda. Then you come back. You say, well, hmm. So you don't always have the sense that you've completely resolve the questions you brought into the lucid dream, but you have more insight. Consequently, you want to reprogram the same lucid dream as a recurring dream, revisit the dream again, and again, and again, and again, until you actually play it out. And you do have some resolution. Only in that way can you make the dream have meaning for you. But the dream will 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 almost always reveal itself to you, because you, you're going to see it with great clarity. You're going to have acute awareness in a lucid dream that you don't normally have in a common dream.
0: Hmm. Wow! <laughs> I don't have to buy your book because I'm really curious about this. This is something I want to do.
1: So, so I mean, we're kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of the exercises, but. What I try to do is I try to I try to look at objectively, if I can, um, the um, the arguments for and against <laughs> these lucid dreams being valuable, you know, and are they real? And, and so I look at um, not only the arguments for and against, but I also look at like the the body of evidence. Now, it, it's very hard. It's very hard to have really analytical. Evidence of something like this. So what we do is we, we look at a pattern of, of 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 stories, anecdotes, and the ones that hold up seem to be the the the, the gold standard. The, the stories that we've 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 often heard, or or maybe we know somebody, or we ourselves have had an experience in one of these dreams, where it's credible, because there were maybe others, you know, who had the same dream, or, or maybe we dreamed with someone, or there was somebody um, who could verify what we saw as being real. You know, so I I look at one I look at ones like um, um, uh, Goddard, he um, was a Scottish pilot in 1935 he he, uh, he actually filed a flight report where he flew over uh, an airfield in Scotland in 1935 in a storm very often we see that what Brit will randomly uh, trigger uh, a time slip for people will be like um, a, a change in earth energy like a storm an earth vortex um, um, and a, like a um, energy grid, you know, like, you know, like, uh, magnetic anomalies. Mm -hmm. And, and in this case, there was a storm and his, his, his old plane was, was blown off course. And he went across this airfield and he looked down, Sir Richard Goddard, 1935, and he looked down and it was an abandoned airfield. Huh? So later on, the storm subsides and he crosses back. He goes over the same airfield and he looks down and then he sees, he sees modern planes of a different color who were biplanes and they're yellow and he sees, he sees a ground crew not wearing traditional brown uniforms as he would know in 1935, but blue uniforms. And he goes back and he files his flight report. And they think, well, this is really strange. But then years later, that airfield has these yellow biplanes. They have switched the uniforms of the ground crew from brown to blue. See, so, I mean, there are cases like this. There was a case of a, of a, of a, of a thief that was being chased by a policeman in Liverpool. And I think it was 1991, or was it 1991? Got it somewhere, uh, 2006. And I took this out of the Liverpool Echo, a newspaper. So this, the policeman chases this thief down this, this alleyway in Liverpool in 2006, and the man suddenly disappears. And the policeman stands there and thinks, what do I do now? I think I'll just wait here for a second. Maybe you'll pop up behind a garbage can or something. Meanwhile, the thief runs down the alley. And at the end of the alley, he sees shops that look very strange, old. And he stops by a newsstand and he looks at a date on a newspaper. And it says 1967. And he screams and he runs back toward the policeman, who grabs him, takes him in, and he, and he gets a story. And you, and it turns out that what he reported as his description of what was down the alley in 1967 strangely coincides with the actual recorded history of what was on that street in Liverpool in 1967. So, I mean, we have a police report. You know, we have a policeman, you know. We have a flight report, you know. There are naval cadets in Kersey. That, that walked uh, into the woods looking for a, uh, a village, uh, a village in Suffolk County called Kersey. And it was there, these naval cadets, they're assigned to, to learn to read a map and find something. <laughs> Orienteering, right? So they, they, these, these three cadets, they, uh, they walk into this village but it's not what they expected. It's like really old. It looks like it's in the middle ages, you know, in, and, and when they first come, there's a bell and there's smoke coming out of a chimney. And then they notice the smoke doesn't move. And then there's no more smoke. The bell stops. The birds, you know, they, they're frozen in place. Nothing moves. It's like frozen in time and they, walk through the village and there's like a butcher shop and there's a little bridge and half completed church. They notice the leaves aren't falling. They notice that nothing uh, shows a shadow. It seemed like it was a different time of, of the year. Um, they notice that the windows have all been smeared white, uh, a green, I'm sorry, green. They notice there are no people or furniture inside the old buildings. It's like nobody lives there. So when they're walking out, they hear the bell again. They go back and they see their scout master. He said, did you find Kersey? And he said, it's not what we expected. And they told their story. They continued, these three scouts, to tell their story for years and years and years. And finally, the uh, British Psychic Institute, research uh, institute, they studied it. And uh, as a result, a man wrote a book on it. The book is called, if you want to look it up, um, Adventures in Time by Andrew McKenzie. And he was a lead researcher for the Psychical Research Society in London. He had interviewed the boys then in 1980. And the book came out a little after that. And he found that they had described accurately what the town looked like in the 14th century during the black death they described a butcher shop that no longer existed they described a church that never got constructed wow eerie eerie
0: yeah um one of the common things like lately you know on the internet as far as time travel is concerned is these pictures um you know, old pictures from like the nineteen forties and stuff like that, with people holding modern technology like cell phones. Yeah, is there, is there anything to those pictures?
1: Well, there's the there's the interesting case of um, Charlie Chaplin, and I think it's nineteen twenty eight. They were making uh, the, the debut in uh, Los Angeles of um, it was the opening night of his movie, The Circus, and. Everybody was lined up. It was a big event, right? The new Charlie Chaplin movie. And um, everybody's waiting outside. They're all queued up, you know, to get inside as soon as the box office opens. And a woman is walking back and forth in front of the theater. And, and she's strangely dressed and she's holding something to her head and talking into it. <laughs> Now, we might think that's a cell phone. Mm-hmm. But in 1928, they thought she was just a crazy lady. Now, they didn't hear anybody else, just the lady talking. And she seemed to be like exasperated like nobody could hear her. Well, she probably didn't get very good cell reception in 1928. <laughs> and then then she strangely disappeared, you know, vanished. And, and 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 there are actually pictures that were taken of her. You know, and 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 There were a lot of eyewitness accounts of this. So I think, you know, you begin to collaborate some of these stories of people that seem to have slipped in and out of time. And very often, it's accidental. Wow.
0: Um, How about purposeful time travel? Things like the Montauk chair, the Philadelphia experiment.
1: Yeah, the Philadelphia experiment, um, that was a little different because the it's kind of like urban legend that the the Philadelphia actually, the the ship that was tied up to the Philadelphia was actually being uh, was part of a naval experiment. They were trying to make the ship invisible, <laughs> which is which is even more amazing maybe than the Philadelphia <laughs> um, experience. So so they were trying to make this ship invisible. I mean. I mean, we, nobody had ever heard of Star Trek and the Romulan cloaking device, but way back then, they thought they could make a naval ship disappear, seemingly. And, and that somehow got construed into thinking um, of the Philadelphia experiment. So a lot of these things kind of get misconstrued through time. And a lot of these things just, um, they become part of our fabric of of, of urban legends. Mm -hmm. Now, there there is a case of the the two uh, ladies from Oxford University, Uh, they went to uh, the Palace of Versailles in 1901. This is like, considered by many to be the gold standard of time slips. These two ladies, Uh, Charlotte Moberly was actually the president uh, of one of the colleges at Oxford University and her colleague, Eleanor Jordan, and they were visiting the Palace of Versailles in 1901 on a day when everything seemed to be shut down. There was nobody there. This is often what happens in a time slip. A person is left kind of to be quietly alone. And they're kind of, um, and there's nobody around them to distract them. And and they observe something, you know. What they observed was they were walking through the gardens, and they found the Grand Trianon Garden to be closed. So they went to uh, the little garden called the Petit Trianon, and that was known to be the garden favored by Marie Antoinette. Okay so they 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 wandered in there and they walked across this little funny funny bridge and they described what they saw people were in strange costumes there was a lady who was painting they described the lady and they came back they came back they walked around and nobody wanted to talk to them it's like nobody could see them and they came back and they told everybody what they saw well there was nobody there But when they got back to Oxford, they told everybody what they saw. And they continued to talk about it for years and years and years. And in 1911, they wrote everything that they saw in a book called An Adventure. And they were studied by the British Society for Psychical Research. And they found that the women had described the way the garden actually looked in the time of Marie Antoinette. The Marie Antoinette was known to have garden parties they were often organized there, and that she would commonly sit and sketch, and they described a bridge that was no longer there. They described a bridge that had been there, and it took them a long time going through old diagrams and paintings of the garden to realize that bridge had once been there. So they actually had great recall of what they saw, they were credible witnesses, and yet, how could this have happened? I mean, how could they have walked backwards centuries into the past and then walked back? You know, it's, it's time travel. Right. So what I find with all of these, these accidental or programmed time, time shifts, is that usually there will be a shift in consciousness A person will get very, very quiet, very much inside themselves. And then they will experience this. Um, Very often, there will be, it'll happen late in the afternoon. It'll happen at dusk, maybe it'll happen in early fall, late summer. It'll happen maybe when there's a disturbance in the weather, a magnetic disturbance, you know, uh, there seems to be some kind of an electromagnetic shift in the earth that programs it too. Interesting.
0: So, how about the Montauk chair? Um, there is a guy who does podcasts. I haven't had him on yet. His name is Mark. And he claims to have been, you know, put in a chair and traveled time and traveled back. And-
1: yeah. You know, I what, what I've, I've seen. And and what I've I've studied, you know, relying on the essays and explanations of mainly Einstein in his um, two relativity theories is that physically, nothing can go forward or backward in time without turning into pure energy that so, I mean, if you think of like the time machine, what we normally have is like somebody gets in a DeLorean or, or or they get in like uh, or like Doctor Who he gets in a phone booth right mm-hmm. you know or, or 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 you know you know H.G. Wells he gets in a time machine or you put a, a thing on your head or you sit in a certain chair and then that allows you to move forward or backward in time when in fact anything physical if it, if it in order to to go into another time. According to Einstein, would have to approach the speed of light. Mm-hmm. At which at which point it would turn into pure energy.
0: Right. So, H- however, that, however, if if we were able to um, overcome gravity or learn how to manipulate gravity, that changes the whole formula. If I'm
1: correct, well, it could be. It could be. I mean, I'll keep my mind open. <laughs> but but because cause but, it's gravity that bends the light
0: yeah so we if we could manipulate the gravity, then we can eat more easily bend light and go faster than the speed of light by bending it that could be could be
1: hmm. I what what I see is is that there's a good explanation why. Shamanic dreamwalkers and Sumadhi mystics from the East can travel so freely out of time and space, yeah. that is, in a, in a consciousness body, mm-hmm. because a consciousness body can travel at the speed of light. It is not physical, it is pure energy. Right. Yeah.
0: And that's kind of like what I experienced during the seizure. Yeah. Um, which is. You know,
1: I, 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 I know that there are examples of people that have physically moved through space and time and back. I'm one of them. It happened to be when I was like 11 or 12 years old. Really? Yeah. What happened? (laughs) Okay. Well, I got on a berry bus to go pick berries. And I didn't want to pick berries. I wanted to ride out to this place on this bus, sing all the wild berry bus songs. I wanted to eat all the berries again. could get my hands on and I wanted to go swimming at the river. Then I wanted to get on the bus and come home, which is pretty much what I did every day I was there. I was a terrible berry picker. But but one day I went out there and I ate all these berries and I went to the river to go swimming. And I got really, really sick. You know, it's like, oh, it just felt like my gut was going to explode. And someone said, You ate too many berries. And I said, No, this is something really different you know sometimes you just know it's really bad you got to get out you got to you got to get moving quick emergency so I said I got to go home immediately I feel like I'm going to die and they wouldn't take the bus home they said you wait until the end of the evening end of the shift you go home with everyone else at the end of the day and I talked to the the owner and he wouldn't drive me home and we didn't have a cell phone there so I, I couldn't call my mom and so I did the only thing I could think to do, I started walking down the railroad tracks. Now there were railroad tracks that we had to cross every day to enter the berry field. And I I reasoned in my brain-addled mind, as I sick as I was, that if I walked on those railroad tracks, it would take me right to my house. And I reasoned that the The train went in front of my house. The tracks were in front of my house.
2: Hmm.
1: Now, I didn't know that there were switchbacks in the railroad patterns. I didn't know exactly whether that track actually went to my house or not. I didn't know the way home. I just knew that I was about 20 miles from home, and I didn't know how to get home. So I thought the safest way would be to walk on the tracks, and it would take me to my house. So I started walking. And my friends said, come back, come back. I said, no, I'm, I'm gone. So I round the corner. And I remember there were these berry bushes on the left. And I round the corner and I take one step. And I take one more step. And everything went black. And the next thing I knew, I was in front of my house. And it was a different time of the day. I stepped off the track, which was higher than the ground, walked into the front door, flopped on my mother's bed. And as soon as she came into the room, I said, take me to the hospital. I'm really sick, which I was, my uh, appendix had burst. Now it took me a year. I I didn't tell anyone how that happened. I didn't explain anybody how I got home because they would have thought I was crazy. I mean, I couldn't explain it. So why am I gonna tell the story to anybody how I got home? I just got home, you know, I lived, you know, we, we got to the hospital in time, barely. And a year later, I had to admit, I stood in front of my house and I had to admit, the railroad tracks do not stop in front of my house. but. Three years later, we moved north of there, and at that house, the railroad tracks did stop in front of my house. Now, it would seem that I had moved forward in time, and I'd moved from one place to another place 20 miles away instantly, and I never returned. So I'm a time traveler that moved in time and space and never returned. So I sometimes I wonder if that eleven or twelve year old boy is still out there wandering. <laughs> wow. I I'm fine.
0: <laughs> wow. So, so did you think it's possible that there's more than one of you living on a different timeline? I
1: do. I do. I think that there are multiple U's. There are. Um, first of all, I think there are multiple universes. Um, I believe in the multiverse theory. I believe in parallel realities, parallel dimensions, obviously parallel dimensions. I believe in parallel worlds, parallel universes. I believe that there is a you that you're somehow conscious of. Um, I actually have exercises that a person could use to go forward or backward in time to a place that you recognize or to a place you do not recognize. And one of those would be, um, let's call it a non-ordinary reality, a parallel reality. I think that there are probably multiple versions of you. And I, I'm not sure they're you. That There are multiple versions of you. There's There's a you that's That has always existed yesterday, the day before, the day before, 10 years ago, last life, you know, tomorrow, you know. I mean, we, we, I mean, every, every, every seven days, we're essentially a new person anyway, you know. But, but, but I think that there are multiple versions of you in time, but that is you. But I also think that there are, are parallel. Other yous. They're parallel realities to you. There are multiple versions of you. And they're living a life very much like yours. I mean, I'm somewhat conscious of one. <laughs> you know, I sometimes I think maybe he's having more fun than I am. But I don't know. You know, I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. Hmm.
0: Interesting. So, do, do you think when when you die, that is possible for your consciousness to move into somebody's future and past versions of yourself?
1: Wow. Um, I think that this whole idea we have about life and death is really, really confused. First of all, I think that um, nothing ever really dies and nothing is ever fully alive. I think we're always in a state of transformation. We're always in a state of becoming. I think that I think that our consciousness, our inner spirit, our inner self, is eternal. That's the part of you that continues on and on and on and on without ending. It is the ultimate um, hero's journey, arc of the hero's journey, that goes round circle to a homecoming which we call death. And then we go to source, and then we come back again and start the next hero's journey. I think that every one of your lifetimes, every one of your physical lifetimes is, in fact, a hero's journey. But we get a lot of them, don't we? You know, it never ends. It's like a baseball game with nine innings. It's like a cat with nine lives. It just goes on and on and on. Do you know that the game of baseball was actually invented to um, – by a theosophist named Abner Doubleday to give people the concept of karma and reincarnation. Think about it. I mean, you get several chances to hit the ball and then you're out, but you're not really out. You know, you're not really out until your whole team, your whole community has been out three times. Then you need to go out, sit out in the field and watch somebody else and study them. And then you get to go up and try it again and then next inning you get to try it again. I mean, life is like that. We have many, many chances to get it right. I think that each one of us is living the arc of the hero's journey, life after life.
2: Hmm.
1: So I don't know. Um, I think that the whole idea of past, present and future are kind of confused. I think everything is in a state of becoming. Everything is constantly new. But nothing is ever that never dies. Everything is like everything just kind of kind of rekindles itself. So you will be you know, if you wanted to go visit yourself in the future, it would be some something familiar to you, you know, It would be like you, you know, the past, you know, your past life is going to be like you, you know, you're going to have an affinity to the person. This is, this is you. It's just you. um, that's become a new you and will become a new you. I don't know. Is that too convoluted?
0: No, no, it's it's, it's interesting. Um, Sometimes I I Do you think that everything is happening all at one time? Like I've heard theories, like where you know, like like, like we're actually, there's no such thing as time. Everything is just yeah. happening at once, like a book. It's already been written, but you can only read one page or one word at a time.
1: Yeah, I think everything of, of likes going like this, and and in that, everything happened. You know, it. You know, it. It's like it's the sound echoes and echoes and echoes and in all those echoes creates a wave pattern of energy and all those wave patterns create life creates life life ripples within ripples circles within circles and all of life is a circle within a circle and i think it's all happening in a sense simultaneously
0: okay if everything is happening simultaneously that means you know, my future has already happened, so therefore, any decisions I make don't really matter.
1: Ah, see, this, this is this is an interesting paradox, isn't it? it? Is you bring up a really important thing, Gary. You know, if you think about like, if you think of like um, uh, forecasting, you know, forecasting is like reliable. You know, I by forecasting I mean like. Uh, I mean, fortune telling, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, okay, like tarot, numerology, astrology, gazing, any of these things. So you say, well, okay, I'm going to look into the future. What do the cards say? You know, numerologically, what's going to happen to me? Okay. I mean, this is the way the energy is now aligning where you are right now. But you don't really know what happens here because you're only looking at what happens now. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weasel my way around this by saying, I think that this it shows the energy that's moving us toward this direction. Okay. But we don't really know where it's going. We have an idea where it's going. Now, I think that the valuable thing for controlled time shifts would be to set up um, a conscious meditative time shift, or a lucid dream, where you actually go into the future, and look at yourself in the future. Now you can't change that person. You just can't, because, you know, you're not physically there to change them. You're only there as an observer, as K- Kasanada said, be a perfect witness. You know, you're, you're there like the dream walker who who looks at what the future holds, and you, and you learn what seems to be happening then. And then you bring back that insight into you now.
0: And, then and, and can I use that insight
1: now to change that future? I think to a degree you can. If it's you, because you have control over you. It is you. You know, it's like if you go in the past and you send energy to yourself, if you're sick, it's not going to impact you then, but it's going to impact you now. It always bounces back to you. That's the way karma works. It always bounces. There's the snapback effect. So, so I think what happens is if you go into the future, now, now you go into the future and you look at you, you're still looking at you with 2021 insight, right? Okay. You know, I'm not saying your eyes, but your 2021 conscious insight, your awareness, your keen conscious awareness. That's the way it looks to you now. You know, so what, what I'm saying is like the future is written. This is what Blavatsky always said in The Secret Doctrine. The, the future seems to be in it, 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 It's kind of like, whoa, it wraps around itself. The future seems to be predetermined. But she said, "Do not despair, because if you know what it is, you can course correct right now." I, I, I'm putting words in her mouth. I know, but but she's saying the future is written, seems to be written, but but it's not predetermined. You see, it's 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 that's the way it is happening now. Okay. So there they're. they're I think you have to think of ripples, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that everything that happens creates ripples. There are so many things that could change that future from different directions. But from from looking, if we go there now and look at it, that's the way it seems to be shaping up. So we say that the future seems to be shaping up that way. And it probably will end up that way. But, you know, there's a lot of stages in between
0: so if i go to the future and look at myself my life is crap yeah and come back to this present i can course correct
1: and dodge having that crappy future i think to some degree you can but i don't know to what degree you can but 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 it's good to know what happens (laughs) you know so so that you can prepare yourself for the if that's good inevitably what's going to happen you can understand um when the bus leaves the terminal
0: (laughs) could i somehow heal my
1: future self before i become my future self i sure wish i knew I'm just going to come right out and say, I mean, the, the whole idea of, um, of, of, of predestination is, is really confusing, you know, and it's like if you look at what's been written about um, the, um, the Akashic Records, if the Akashic Records are really a, a description of what all this happened and what, what, what will happen, I think what you really see in the Akashic, Akashic Records are like energy bands. And, and it shows you the energy that's in flow and how it, it seems to be playing out. But, it's, it you know, it seems to be playing out from where we're standing. That's the way it looks, right? So you think about Plato's Allegory of the Cave. Where we're standing, in, 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 you know, even if we were at the other end of the cave, would we, re, you know, unless we were physically at the other end of the cave, would we really know? I mean, we—I mean, there are certain things that are just hard, it, 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 based on your frame of reference, you really don't have a grasp of it. I, I don't, I, I'm a guy it's stumbling because I don't have the answer. But, <laughs> it, it, but, it, but, it, but, but Gary, this is the way, it, honestly, it seems to me, and I've wrestled with this a lot. I think that the future is, is written, but it's not written in detail.
0: Interesting. Because I want to go to the future, fix my future self so my life isn't crap.
1: Well, I mean, the greatest gift of the arc of the hero's journey is insight. So if you travel on this journey of life with eyes wide open, with great awareness with consciousness working for you, then you can see where you've been and where you're going, and you can understand who you are. And the very best you can do, probably all you can do right now, is work on you in the here and now.
0: Uh, I don't like that answer.
1: <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's not bad. It's not really bad to think of, the present moment, you think, well, this is all there is the present moment. The present moment is filled with potential. Hmm. The, the rest of it is just like what you can see, you know, because yeah. you're not you're not physically experiencing it. Yet.
0: Yet. Damn, this time stuff's a pain
1: in the ass. But but I, I think I think the I think is that it's 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 filled with opportunity, you know, and, 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 and we are in control of our lives. And we're not just puppets, you know, that have been, been pre-programmed. And, and, and there is not this sense of, 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 um, of preconditioned outcome to, to life. And, and if we understand where we've been and where we should be going, then I think we can live our, our own lives here and now comfortably with assurance and confidence. Okay. I want to give that a try. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: um, which book do you have out that has the most exercises in it?
1: Um, I guess it would be the new one, uh, Time Shifts. Uh, seven secrets of time travel has a lot of exercises they're very basic uh the new one it takes you into other realms
0: hmm.
1: and i think it it opens up more doorways all
0: right well, i just bought it so i just, I, 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 I just bought it so. <laughs> oh oh
1: Sorry. you know I, I i think the thing though if you're going to do these exercises you can't you, you can't like hold them in your hand and read them while you're doing them. You have to like read them and read them and read them. Mm-hmm. Or you could have somebody like walk you through. I, I don't like the idea of guided meditation. You could have somebody initially walk you through it, you know, or you could simply read it enough times that you feel like you've got it and just do it.
0: Yeah I would just but, but, I would just read it and then do it right after I read it so I don't forget it.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 I, I always tell people if 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 you go through the exercises, and um, if something doesn't happen, like you don't you don't know, you don't feel like you left the body, or if you go to if you go to your dreamscape and that you know out of time and space, you don't feel like you're really there, you don't feel like you can see anything, you know. If if you have problems at any stage in these exercises, just go right back to the beginning and start over. Okay. I'm going to start working on this. Because I think that every one of the stages is in itself useful. All right. But ultimately, we all want destination, right? Everyone wants destination.
0: Yeah, I just want to make come up with some kind of plan to fix this
1: future self situation. I'll give well, it a try. Well, the, the future is going to be very different. It's going to be very different for all of us, but, but different isn't bad. Um, I think that, I think that people think that, that change is, 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 is uncomfortable and it's horrible. And, 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 but we have, we have to embrace change because change is dynamic in the universe. It's what makes everything go. Everything is based on change. Nothing is Nothing is 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 you know frozen in time. I mean, it's the second law of thermodynamics, You know, right? I mean, we, I mean, we, you you're either part of the change, or you become the compost of the future.
0: That's good advice. So, so before we wrap this up, where can my listeners find you and find your books?
1: Whoa! Well, I live on a little island, so it's hard to find me. But you can go to Amazon in my author page. I try to keep it updated. Like I listed this show. Yeah,
0: it's very updated.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just list everything, and um, I have a website, V uh, Brashler, and I started a new one, um, Author Von Brashler, and I, I try to update these as often as I can because I, I like to do these shows because. Uh, I think it opens up people's ideas, you know, yeah. and, 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 and I think it's important that people start their own journey, you know, not just sit at home and eat Fritos. I, I did that too long in my life. You know, you've, you've got to get out there and, 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 and experience growth and, uh, the biggest growth you're ever going to have is, um, uh, in terms of consciousness development. I
0: absolutely agree, one hundred percent. So what I'll do is I will post a link to your website and to your books in a note to this episode, so my other listeners can find you. Oh, by the way, I was looking at your author's page, and I saw a name that was familiar to me, Frank yeah. Joseph. You know him? Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Frank, Frank. See, I, I worked with Frank uh, at Llewellyn, and I worked at Llewellyn for ten years. I, you know, I had a whole other life in publishing, in newspaper, magazine, and then books. And I worked for three different publishers. So at Llewellyn, I worked on Frank's first book. And Frank's had a lot of experiences. So I interviewed Frank. He's one of the people I... I've interviewed him too. Have you? I mean, he has a trip. He's He's had a lot... He is amazing. He's had a, I had no idea until I started explaining. He said, what are you working on? He said, he always says, keep working. Don't just stop. Keep working. I said, well, okay, okay. I said, I can't crank him out the way you do, Frank. He's written like 40 <laughs> books. So I, and I said, but you know, I, I, you know, he said, well, don't stop. He said, I'll help you. You can interview me. So I find out that Frank's had a lot of, a lot of experiences and time shifts a lot of them around the world, you know. In Tokyo, he's had him in, in, in ancient Troy, experienced ancient Troy, walking in woods in, uh, in in Illinois. He he walked into an, a a time shift. Right, I so mean, in, in, in Rock Lake in Wisconsin, you know, he hears Indians from the in centuries past singing to him. This is right. really profound stuff. So there's a guy who's um, definitely tuned into his consciousness. Wow. He didn't mention
0: anything. Now I got to get him back on and talk about that.
1: Yeah, I got to get him out here to the island. We want to do something on Lemuria. I think I, I think I live in. That, Lemuria. That, that's mostly
0: what me and him were talking about was Lemuria, Atlantis. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's the one who told me about a place here, not far from where I live, called Poverty Point, which kind of resembles the um, model of Atlantis. So and he also um, was, was very familiar with something that I'm going to go be going out and investigating in the Grand Canyon, which is the story of G.E. Kincaid. So, yeah. Okay. I think
1: I know a cave in the San Juans that actually connects to the Grand Canyons.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's one of the things I want to explore with Frank. But yeah, yeah. I, he's really uh, made a life study of Atlantis, among other things. And And, um, you know, Frank, uh, he told me when he called me up and he said, he said, how Internet savvy are you? And I said, I can turn it on and turn it off, Frank. Mm -hmm. And He said, well, then you're better than I am. He said, I said, yeah, I I doubt that. Uh He said, well, I want you to go on and start a a, a fundraiser for me. We need to we need to collect uh, half a million dollars and hire a Portuguese fishing boat. I know where Atlantis is. He says, I know where it is. It's based on old, old uh, Soviet Union uh, <laughs> naval reports. He said, I know where it is. He says, but the trick is we have to get a Portuguese fishing boat. And I said, well, I, I don't know how to do that. Oh. And he said, oh, it's a shame. It's a shame. We could find it. I could do it. Could you? I could set that up, yeah. Absolutely. Well, set it, set it up. He, he thinks he knows All where right. to go get it.
0: All right. So he, I'm going to email him right after this. Yeah, he'll 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 go out it, it is tomorrow because I, I know how he's not tech savvy because he's the first person that has an interview over a phone and he had like a home phone.
1: <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. So I, I tried to set him up for Zoom and I sent him a, 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 a laptop and I said, it's all set to go. And, he, and here's the here's the what do you call it, the password to get on. And then here's how you set up Zoom. And he said, "It's." He said, "I'm going to have to hire a techie to do this." I said, "No, no, 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 no." I said, "It's like three easy steps." And uh, well, he he now you could now have him on Zoom. He's he's Zoom proficient. Oh, he is. Yes, okay. he is. He is. Right. And, he's, and he's better in person.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. Awesome. I'll shoot him an email then. Well, his he's got some amazing books out on uh, uh, alien uh, uh, machinery, and uh, uh, gosh, he's got some great books on alien encounters and and ancient uh, ancient technology. Wow, Re- really far out stuff. Great, but I want him. To, I want him to find Lemuria out here.
0: Yeah, I would, I would <laughs> love that. I would love that. I'd help him. Yeah. I'd do anything for him. He's, he's an awesome guy. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Oh, hey, man. Thank you for being on today. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Uh, you too. Just hang on for one more moment. I have sure. to play the outro. Okay.